Wemmering Manor in Portsmouth, England is a place mentioned in the Doomsday Book of 1086 with its long history of occupation through over 20 ghosts attached to the manor from nuns to a lady dressed in violet to a chap who goes by the interesting name of Reckless Roderick. Its reputation has drawn paranormal investigators from around the United Kingdom and has been featured on Britain's most haunted TV show back in 2006. Join us to hear all about the history and hauntings within Wimmering Manor in this week's episode of True Hauntings. Hi, I'm Renata Daniel. And I'm Anne Rekovich and welcome to this week's episode of True Hauntings Podcast. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow, forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. Wimmering Manor. Wimmering! Wimmering! It's your fault. Wimmering. I had all of that practice, and you you put wimmering into my head. Curse you. Wimmering. Wimmering. Okay. What are we talking about this week, Renata? Have you got some interesting history for us on Wimmering Manor? Aren't you doing Wim- a soundscape? Oh, I've got to do a soundscape. <laughs> <laughs> Going on. I don't know. What's going on? Oh, I've lost the plot. I need another <laughs> cup of coffee. <laughs> oh, let, let's just, guys, that's enough. Uh, what, you, you, <laughs> this is what happens. When conducting our events at Wimmering and speaking to Ben soon after, Ben is the custodian of Wimmering Manor. He told us that he had been called out once because of somebody inside the manor. Not long after we had left after an event, the manor's sophisticated security system had tracked someone in the garden outside who had walked around the manor and entered via the front door. Once inside, they got as far as the staircase and then simply vanished the front door had not been opened. We also seem to have disturbed the ghost who is known as the monk who dislikes the dark. Over the years, some of the local residents have complained about the lights in the music room being on in the middle of the night, causing light pollution to their homes, even though these lights had not been left on by anybody at the manor. They seem to have a a knack of turning on in the middle of the night. The whole floor had been rewired, as it was first thought there may be an electrical fault. However, this didn't stop the turning on of the lights in the middle of the night. One day, 
A lady claiming to be a medium spoke to Ben. She told him of a monk who had been holding a vigil over the body of a departed monk before his funeral in the music room area many, many years ago. When night fell, this monk eventually ran out of candles and was found also dead the following day. The medium lady suggested leaving a nightlight on in that room for him because he was afraid of the dark. Ben, although sceptical of this, purchased a nightlight for the room and since then they have not had an issue with the lights turning on in the middle of the night. Well, until we held an event and unplugged the nightlight, not knowing the story, and that same night, after we had left Ben, was greeted the following day with the news that the lights had come on in the dead of night again. Sorry, Ben. That was well done. Thank you. And where did that come from? That's a very good question. I can't remember. I know it was somebody who was conducting tours uh, at the Wimmering Manor, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they were recounting one of their stories. I, I it was really hard to find a soundscape for this one. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I uh, agree. And There's once, not a lot. Once again, the stories are the same stories told over and over. Yeah. But there's some good stories. There's some funny stories, and there's some stories that could be straight out of a scary movie. Mm. Awesome. Well, I'm going to take you back and I'm going to talk a little bit about the history. I know, it's got a great history of the area. Wimmering House or Wimmering Manor and um, tell you a little bit about how it's passed from one person to another over the years. So Wimmering Manor and the Church of St. Peter and St. Paul are the oldest house and the oldest church in Portsmouth in England. So there is a record of a Saxon building on that site where the manor now stands from 1047. Doesn't it blow your mind, the history and how far it goes back? Mm. Like even before you were born? I know. It's so rare. I got in quick. It's so rare. I haven't done one for a while. (laughs) People have been missing my little digs. (laughs) They even say that there could possibly have been a Roman villa on the site, which doesn't surprise me because those Romans... Those bloody Romans. <laughs> those Romans got in everywhere. Uh, for those people who don't know, my husband's name is Roman. <laughs> and people go, Roman? I go, yeah, like Roman hands. Okay, we won't go there. And Wimmering Manor Estate is one of the oldest manors in Hampshire through which the main south coast road runs. So it wouldn't surprise me if Romans had been there because they were pretty good with roads mm-hmm. and they oh, liked the them Romans. straight. They were good with many things. They liked them straight. They were good with their hands. <laughs> and, yeah, so it wouldn't surprise me if the Romans had been there. In their aqueducts. Now, in their viniculture. For those who like Life of Brian, they know these quotes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So at the time of the Doomsday Survey, Wimmering Manor and the lands in Cosham and... Portchester belonged what, what was that? The Portchester? Port, Portchester, oh, Port, Port. Portchester belonged to the Crown. Now, before I go on, uh, the Doomsday Book is yeah, something that we seem to hear about a lot. It sounds and like it's disastrous. I know. It sounds like some sort of you know book where 
you get put in if you're going to be killed or well, something like that. that's when the world's going to blow up. And, and look, I remember hearing about this at school, but it was one of those times I didn't listen. So tell me, what is the Doomsday Book? But do you know that the Doomsday Book was actually really um, – Really, it's called the Domesday Book, D-O-M-E-S-D-A-Y. Oh. It changed in uh, because of Middle English spelling, which had it as Doomsday Book, as in doom and gloom. Okay. It's actually the Domesday Book. And it's a manuscript where it was a survey of all the houses and everyone living in them. Oh, so it was the census. At, yeah, at the time of William the First, William the Conqueror, back in 1086. So it covered most of England and parts of Wales. And, um, yeah, so it was a census. But why do they make it sound so <laughs> scary with I, the doomsday I don't know, book. because it's, look, the original um, meaning of, yeah, of it, is in Latin. So in Latin it is Domus Del, meaning house of God, which has got nothing to do with whatever it is, but there you go. Yeah, well, that's a bit of a <laughs> letdown, isn't it? I was expecting something like yeah, it's, it's the end of the world and no. the apocalypse and when the frogs fall from the sky and the rivers turn red. No, but we're finding a lot of the places that we're talking about actually appeared in the Doomsday Book, okay. which is really interesting because the provenance of them... That's a big word. I know it is, I've getting used to big words of this mm. University of Edinburgh thing I'm doing. <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> Uh, the provenance can go back to that time where those sites are actually mentioned. Mm. So they've been actually been around, yeah. Are you in the for census? over a thousand years? No, 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 I'm not. I, she I hid that day. That. <laughs> <laughs> I hid in the cupboard under the stairs that day <laughs> with Harry. With Harry. So by 1167, the king had granted the manor to the um, Albemarle family. The earl lived here, and on his death, the manor reverted to the crown. Edward I gave it to his mother, Eleanor, who was there in 1260, exchanged it for lands at Ringwood. In 1595, Wimmering Manor became the property of the Waite family, whose name was given to a street in the nearby village of Cosham. The present manor and the village date from the 17th century, and Richard Norton, Cromwell's Mad Dick... <laughs> We've got to find out. What? We've got to find out more information What's about him. this mad dick? Yeah, um, he signed King Charles's death warrant, lived here for a oh, while, okay. which is quite interesting. Mad dick, there you go. I for, think his name was Richard. Forever perpetuated in history as mad dick. We, we had a, a politician here in Newcastle whose name was Richard Face. <laughs> Yeah, I remember. <laughs> and poor, everyone changes Richard to Dick, so I'm just going to leave that there. Mm. They were a lovely family. I, I'd actually taught uh, both his, uh, well, two of his children piano and singing, and uh, one of them's gone off to be a Broadway star. Mm. Well, I've got something interesting to, just to add to that yeah. now. Okay. Um, so the manor belonged to the Bruning family uh, after that, and they were Roman Catholics. So they built into the house something called priest holes. 
or hiding places. Oh, um, dear. Yeah, and if you're wanting to know what a priest hole oh, is. Oh, please do. I've, I've got no idea. They, they were hiding places for priests and they were built into a lot of um, Catholic homes and houses in England during the period when Catholics were persecuted by the law in England. So that's because they weren't allowed to hold masses and things like that. They just pop a priest in a hole that's and it. when the authorities had, had gone, the priest would pop out and go, Hello! <laughs> Amen. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So when Queen Elizabeth came to the throne in 1558, there were several Catholic plots designed to remove her, and severe measures were taken against Catholic priests. They didn't do a good job. Uh, many great houses had a priest hole built so that the presence for a priest could be concealed when searches were made of the building. Mm. They were concealed I in walls. What, I wonder what they use priest holes for now. <laughs> <laughs> the school I went to, the school I went to, I know exactly what they used them for. <laughs> Let's not go there because nope. uh, you're not real happy about that. Uh, so they were concealed in walls, under floors, behind wainscoting. Wainscoting. Wainscoting, sorry, and other locations and were often successful in concealing their occupant. Mm, they did a good job. For I actually watched a video where they showed one of the priest holes. <laughs> <laughs> it's very eye-opening. <laughs> Are we going to have to pause for a bit? No, we can get through this. Come on. <laughs> Apparently they like it when we laugh, Renata. <laughs> Especially when you get to that wings. I can't see my nose. I know. I had to put the air conditioning on. She's fogging up, everyone. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Who thought that history could be so entertaining? <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, okay. Dr. William Smith, who was a physician to the Portsmouth garrison and founder of Portsmouth Grammar School, lived in the house in the early 1700s. And in 1821, Tom and Gosling, Thomas Gosling sold the house to Thomas Thistlewaite of Southwick. Uh, and in 1860, a Catholic religious order, the Brotherhood of St. Augustine and the Sisterhood of St. Mary, founded in London, occupied the manor and vicarage. They would have used the priest holes. <laughs> Renata, <laughs> stop poking around at the priest holes, please. You've got to leave the priest hole alone. You're not I'd, coping with it. I would love to have a house with a priest hole. Oh, I bet you would. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, so, I'd love to see what you stick in the priest hole. <laughs> Oh, dear. Uh, they departed in uh, the late 1800s. And in 1899, the family of Thomas Nowsley Parr, who was a descendant of Catherine Parr, the sixth wife of King Henry VIII, moved to Immering Hall. It's had some quite I know. Um, famous or nearly famous people yes, in there. Yes. Um, many fine architectural features... Uh, in oh, the house. I do like a good architectural feature. Such as sweeping double staircases. Oh, it is a beautiful staircase. Yep. Have you seen it? Um, the pictures, it's just gorgeous. Yes, and they say that the, the, the balustrades are a barley sugar twist. A, a what? A barley sugar oh, twist. Oh, as in a sweet candy. Yes. A barley sugar. Oh. Barley sugar twist. And they were actually rescued um, and installed in Wimmering Manor. So they must have come from somewhere else, obviously. Um, Bali? Uh, no. 
She didn't laugh at that. I thought it was a good joke. Oh, yeah, no. Right. <laughs> so the manor was purchased by Thomas Knowles Parr and his aunt, Mrs Nightingale. Oh, what a lovely name. Yeah. And they made several alterations. I thought you were going to say they made several babies, but I hope not. They made several alter- alterations to the house, including the incorporation of features from Bold Hall, near St Helens in Lancashire, which was demolished in the 1900. Oh, and so, so this is where they this is where they bought the, the balustrades and, ah. and everything from. Good reuse, recycling, good reuse, I approve. Good reuse, uh, The British Army took possession of the manor following the death of Knowles Parr in 1938 for the duration of World War II. Then we had some local builders who purchased the property in 1946 and used several acres of the gardens for the construction of houses and sold on the manor and the remaining land. The new owner, airspeed director and designer Leonard Metcalf, took up the residence and made further alterations to the house, uh, which was made grade two listing in 1953 up until his death in 1958. The manor was scheduled for demolition to make way for a housing development in 1959. Oh, no. Uh, A local campaign resulted in the property being purchased by Portsmouth City Council in 1960, and they financed um, by selling off two acres of the gardens for housing construction and leasing. They did have a youth hostel in the property for a little while as well, Uh, and then the the friends, really, the friends of Wimmering House took over, Mm -hmm. and the volunteers came in and set it up like a a historic home Mm. for people to come in from around the area and they did lots of gardening so they they made use of the gardens and planted um, vegetables and things that would have been in a country garden at that point in time Um, they had fates which they held and fundraising events which they held at the property as well Uh, properties like this especially as old as they are Mm. cost thousands of pounds Mm -hmm. uh, to keep up yeah and so during that time, the house has sort of seen people there and looking after it and opening it up to the public and then closing it and opening it and closing it um, because volunteers are not paid. Mm-hmm. And so it's the goodwill of the people who are there to look after the place. They have tried to sell this place for the last few years yeah. and there has been no one who has won the opportunity to take it over, which is so sad. And they're blaming the ghosts. They're blaming the ghosts. So its last uh, uh, incarnation, I do believe, was a youth hostel. Mm -hmm. Youth hostel, yeah. And it's all kitted up with uh, like simple wooden double bunks and things like that. Um, But they struggled to make a go of it with that as well. And so they had to give it back to the council and the council tried to sell it and they they couldn't move it because nobody wanted it because it was so haunted. Mm. So up to this stage, it has been closed because of COVID. Uh, And so they closed it for a while and Mm -hmm. they did some renovations uh, during that time. It had quite uh, a bit of area. I think a part of it collapsed, if I remember correctly, and they had scaffolding and everything up. And once again, it's all the volunteers that are Mm -hmm. going in there trying to keep this property alive and functioning. Mm -hmm. Um, So it should be reopened again now, shouldn't it? It is reopened again now, but Mm -hmm. um, they're still hoping that someone comes along with enough money. A magic wand. 
to take That'd it. That would be us, wouldn't it, Renata? Uh, oh, it would. I've, I've got that money sitting in my back pocket <laughs> right now. <laughs> I've got but, a shoebox under the bed. You know, from, from the point of view of this history and from the point of view of the people who have owned this place over the, over the centuries, some of them being semi-famous um, or connected to famous people, it's, it's an astounding piece of property. Now, they, they do say that there are areas of the uh, manor that still retain part of the Roman influence. Wow. So if you dug deep enough, you would probably get some artefacts that are from all of the different eras that we have sort of mentioned here. And you think about that layering effect of history and uh, items that may still hold residual energy, mm. it does make it for an interesting location. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, if you drive past it on the street, I think it would be very very hard to kind of stop and go, oh, that is as old as it's supposed to be um, and that has some amazing history. It's just a normal home, or a, a big home, a normal home in a normal street. Well, it's a manor. Yeah. It's not a castle. It's not a castle. And... I guess when we consider the amount of land that was around it 100, 200, 300 years ago, it would have really stood out in the area. Mm-hmm. But it's now been enclosed Yeah, because it had a massive, massive amount of gardens, as you said. Yeah. They've, they've built, out, built it all out. Yeah. Oh, can't put my teeth in. Built it all out. Yeah, so it's. I really hope that someone comes along that has enough money to look after it. I really do. Yeah. Sort of reminds me a little bit of Loftus Hall, I suppose. Mm. In that, um, if they didn't have all that expanse of a ground around it, would it have been anything special? Mm. Yes, it would. Because it sort of stands out. <laughs> oh, I does. love Loftus Hall. I wish I could have there bought not, that. There is not one tree around that place. I just want to say, Renata's birthday is coming up. So if anyone wants to buy her Wimmering Manor as a birthday present, <laughs> yeah, go right feel free. Just uh, contact me and I'll, I'll give you her details. <laughs> put, the, put it on the deed. But let's hear about the ghosts. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you'd do if, say, you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Maybe take a nap? Read a book? Or just show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you. So you can do more of it. If you're like me, you think, I can get through a lot. And we can. We're a resilient species. However, there are times that we need to reach out that hand and get a little help from somewhere else. That's what I did with BetterHelp. When I reached that limit and I realized things were getting a little bit out of control, instead of taking it out on my family or taking it out on myself, I just decided to reach out and get the help that I deserve. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy, my darklings. Get BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com P60. Do that today. You're going to get 10% off your first month. That's better. Help, H E L P dot com slash P sixty. It's time to take control of your life. Dave's here rooting you on, and if I can do this, you can do this. 
Let's do this together. BetterHelp.com slash P60. There's a link for it on today's program guide. Well, you'll be pleased to know that the manor has been proclaimed Hampshire's most haunted house Mm -hmm. by Dave Scanlon, founder of the Hampshire Ghost Society. Uh, So he was responsible for bringing the alleged hauntings to the attention of paranormal investigators all around the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he used to have it as um, he was the manager of the youth hostel that we mentioned from 2002 to 2006. We think that's what the dates are anyway. Right, um, so straight after 2006, that's when Most Haunted went in. Aha. Uh-huh. To Immering Hall. Yes, mm-hmm. and this is where he brought the fame to the place as a haunted location. Um, Most Haunted's come in uh-huh. and no doubt found great evidence. Of course. And now they tried to sell it afterwards and nobody wants it. <laughs> well, when you say there's 20 ghosts yeah. on a property... How do you how do you corral that? Yeah, and and how do you account for them all? Do line up ghosts. I need to do a head count. Yeah. All right. So the reported paranormal activity includes sudden drops of temperature, children whispering, furniture moving, and apparitions. Ooh. Ooh, there's nothing like an apparition, is there? No, nothing like that. And there is some absolute characters that are in the stories. Uh, associated with this location. And uh, the the one that's Renata's favourite at this stage is um, Reckless Roddy. Yeah, and um, when I was writing these notes out, I actually wrote Randy Roddy, <laughs> Randy, R- Randy Waterwick. <laughs> and then I've looked and I've gone, is it Randy? Oh, no, it's Reckless. Oh, <sighs> damn it. And I, I did in the – we had a few takes. To, the people who were in the um, – the Grand Pooh Bar's supporters will get to see this. I, I called him um, Roderick the Reckless. <laughs> I rolled my R's beautifully and then completely got it wrong, but never mind. So let me talk about Reckless Roddy, <laughs> who is one of the infamous uh, legends associated with the manor. Now, according to the story, sometime in the Middle Ages, a newly married couple came to the manor. Soon, however, the husband was called away, leaving his new bride alone. Now, Sir Roderick of Port Chester, who just happened to live nearby in his castle, (laughs) heard... He was stumbling along the road one day. He heard that there was a newly wed lass that had been left alone there. So he thought he'd go and keep her company. Yes, look after her. With his wandering willy. (laughs) Uh, and he tried to seduce this lovely young bride, the rat. Oh, He's a rat. See, he, it should have been Randy Roderick. It should have been <laughs> Randy Roderick. <laughs> but guess what happened? What? Her husband came home unexpectedly. <laughs> chasing <laughs> Woody from <laughs> the house into the woods. Oh, one Woody, one. <laughs> And he killed him. So he should have As he was too. attempting to mount his horse. <laughs> Hopefully they may get on the horse and not something else. Sorry to any children that are listening. Parents can explain that one to them. No, they can't. So. <laughs> so one of the things that is mentioned quite often is the sound of horses' hooves. Mm-hmm. And this is now associated with Wendy Waterwick, <laughs> who was trying to seduce the young bride as he's uh, tried to get on his horse. Um, so now the legend. We now have a legend associated with all of this. Mm-hmm. Whenever a newly married couple comes to stay at the manor, uh, they can hear 
Reckless Roddy. <laughs> you can hear his Reckless Roddy's horse galloping down the lane. Uh, so there, just to back up the story, now this is really interesting. There's this person called Leonard Metcalf that is going to pop up quite often during the stories, mm-hmm. claiming they knew nothing about the legend of that horse. Shortly after his marriage in World War II, both he and his new wife were awakened at 2am by the sound of a horse galloping down the laneway. Ooh. All right, so they've the reported and they've got all oh, that speckless waddy. <laughs> it's got to be. Who else could it be? Um, Mr. E. Jones, the youth hostel warden, also claimed to have heard a horse outside on his first night at the manor. Uh, he was not, however, nearly wedded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the story of reckless Reckless Roddy. Now we're going to go on to another gentleman, but this one is far more distinguished as one of the ghosts. And he has famous relatives. Sir Francis Austin. Mm -hmm. Mm, Do you know who the relatives might be with a name like Austin? No. Ever heard of Jane? Oh, (gasps) Jane Austin. Oh, so he was a distinguished British naval officer and brother of novelist Jane Austen. So Francis William Austen is buried in the nearby churchyard of Wimmer... I got it right? Did I get it right? Yes. Wimmering? Oh, I'm going to say Wimmering. Wimmering, uh, when it served as a vicarage, some claimed that his ghost now haunts there. Now, I do have an a eyewitness sort of account of this. Uh, in 2002, uh, David who we spoke about before. He's the one that claimed the place was haunted mm-hmm, and let the mm-hmm, world know. Mm-hmm. And his wife, Yvette, were living at the manor with their children. One evening, his wife, Yvette, witnessed seeing a figure of a man on the stairs. Her husband, David, presented her with a collection of random Victorian photos from a book about the vicars of Farlington. David asked if she could identify the clothing of which the apparition was wearing. But instead of pointing out the clothing... Yvette pointed to a picture of a man in the book she recognised and said it was him that she saw on the stairs. That's amazing. Turned out that the photo was incorrectly credited and the photo wasn't a vicar, but in fact Sir Francis Austen, who was buried across the road at St. Peter's and St. Paul Church. Wow. That's really cool. Sir Francis was a full admiral and commander-in-chief of the North American and West Indian fleet. He was made a senior admiral of the fleet when he was 89 years old. Uh, He died in 1865. That was from the Haunted Magazine, uh, uh, what do we call that? 16th edition, Mm -hmm. right? So that was a great article. They had their Women in the Paranormal special magazine Mm -hmm. and um, there was a story about Wimmering Manor in there. So uh, thank them for that information. Now let me tell you about another ghost. Mm -hmm. Now this one could be straight out of a movie, a Hollywood movie. The Bloody Nun. Oh, the Bloody Nun. I used to call them the Bloody Nuns all the time <laughs> at school. Yeah, bloody there's nun. another Bloody Nun. In my, in my notes, they call her the Red Nun. Oh, I wonder if it's because blood is red. Mm, oh, Maybe. <laughs> the apparition of a nun with bloody hands is often sighted at the top of the stairs outside a small attic room known as Noah's Ark. Of course, has hmm. been linked by paranormal investigators to a local legend that this room was once where babies <gasps> oh. 
possibly the product of illicit relations between monks and nuns. Oh, no. Here's the priest hole. (laughs) Were aborted before being buried in the garden. Oh, no. Wow. Wow. Now, this is interesting because it is above another uh, room that people report to be quite haunted, and mm-hmm. that's the panelled room. Mm-hmm. But I'll get to the panelled room shortly. So, yeah. Um, that, that's, that's terrible. That's yeah, a terrible story. It is. It is. Uh, and, I mean, it's different times. People just, yeah. Anyway, let, let me go on now to the... The Blue Room. Mm-hmm. The Blue Room. The Blue Room. This is an elderly relative of Thomas Parr who was staying in the Blue Room was always careful to lock her door at night as she feared break-ins by burglars. One morning, she was surprised to find her door unlocked and open. Don't do How's yes. that for a ghost story? That's terrifying. It is. The elderly relative forgot to lock the door that night and blamed it on the ghost. <laughs> Yeah, I'm terrified. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Let me get, <laughs> let me get to another story. Surely I can do better than that with twenty ghosts. And look, what we what we do find in some of these places is that the volunteers and, and people that look after these places now are sometimes very reluctant to keep telling the ghost stories. So we're going back to 2006 when haunted, most haunted was there. Yeah. Uh, and you're going back to 1960, just after, um, yeah, when when the place was taken over and became a youth hostel. So we're going back about 50 odd years for some of these ghost stories. Mm-hmm. But if you ask some of the volunteers now, they get really pissed off at the fact that people come there just for the ghost stories. But don't they and- understand this is what's funding them? It's what's providing them the money to keep the manor going. Well, this this is this this, this position. Is, this is what we yeah. face this as well, running position, tours. Yeah, that people are finding themselves in, and these trusts are finding themselves in. Yeah, they they get a bit hoity-toity and, and look down their nose at ghost hunters, yes. um, or paranormal investigators, and think, well, we don't want that riffraff in our place. Yes, yes, we don't want those stories told. Why don't they just come for the history? But that no, then. Not many people want the history. They want the ghost stories, yeah. and that's where they can make some money. Mm. And if they get people like us, we do it respectfully. Mm. We incorporate their history and the ghost stories. Mm-hmm. But I left out an eyewitness account. Oh, okay. Yep. I need to go back to the bloody nun. Oh, the bloody nun, okay. Right? When I spent the night in Wimmering Manor, I sat in one of the rooms in total darkness. And when I glanced down at my hands and forearms, they looked as if they were drenched in blood. This really freaked me out. I later found out that a ghostly nun is often seen wandering around the place with bloody hands. A gruesome image, but with with an even more gruesome story behind it. And as I learned, illicit relations between monks and nuns meant that babies were often aborted and buried in the grounds of the house. Mm. Mm. So if they didn't know about that story beforehand, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Now I can get back to the other story. Oh, I've lost my place now. What ghost number I'm up to? Now I've done the blue room. Mm-hmm. Oh, we've got the choir of nuns. Tell me about the there's, choir of nuns. There's nuns everywhere. There are nuns everywhere. Well, it was a vicarage and a um, nunnery. A nunnery. 
It's like a stable you put the horses in, but you put the nuns in there. <laughs> All right, so remember we talked about Leonard Metcalf. Now, yes. they died in 1958, but he often reported seeing a choir of nuns crossing the hall at midnight and heard them chanting along to the sound of music. The hills are alive. What year is this again? Yeah, no, it's not then. <laughs> <laughs> It sounded good at the time. Leave me alone. Uh, the family used to scoff and disbelieve his story as none of them at the time had any knowledge of sisters visiting the house in the middle of the last century. There were from the sisters of St. Mary the Virgin, of which Mr. Metcalf knew nothing at the time of his death. So apparently they did have some nuns that came and visited. So he wasn't as crazy as they thought he was. Well, it must have been an astounding event to imprint itself into the world. I know, right? <laughs> it came once. And it inspired a, music, a whole movie called The Sound of Music. Oh, it's just going to get worse. I'm in a mood today, everyone. Just be warned, I'm in a mood. All right, now we're going to go to the panelled room. The panelled room. There's nothing like a panelled room. That sounds like something out of what's that? Now, is that the room that's over where the babies are supposed to be buried? No, it's under where the baby under, under the the other room, I think. Because I, I did mention it before. Right. Anyway, the so-called panelled room may be the manor's most dreaded. Mm-hmm. The panelled room served as a bedroom in the manor, manor's southeast corner and as Mr. Met, Mr. Metcalf, okay, mm-hmm. we've got him back again, <laughs> was using the wash basin one day, he was startled by the distant feeling, a distinct, not a distant, a distinct feeling of a hand on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. He turned around quickly to find... No one was there. Others have felt an oppressive air in the room, instilling a strong feeling to run away, run away, or flee. Mm-hmm. When the building served as a youth hostel, its warden and wife expressed an unexplained fear of the room. Now I'm going to jump over here now to the first youth hostels association warden and his wife, Mr. and Mrs. E. Jones. Uh, this is their little story. Expressed an unexplained fear of the room. Mm-hmm. There we are. That's the quote. No, oh, that's <laughs> although they heard nothing of the previous experiences by others. Now this is a quote here. The ghosts have played their part in generating interest in the manor. They will always be part of the manor. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that that's doesn't sound that scary, does it? No, that's it. No, hang on. I, I've got a little bit here now of some more more uh, recent witness accounts. Mm-hmm. So this is 2007, which is not that long ago for us. No. Some of our listeners may not have been born then, but that's okay. There was a group of young guests and they were in the hall one evening when two of the girls began screaming that figures in long dark robes were walking across the hall from the front door towards them. Now, they were completely unaware of the robes and the significance of them and had no heard no stories of the manor. Now, could it possibly be that these were the, the nuns? The nuns, that yes. That sing at midnight. Yeah, yep. Mm. That's what comes to mind when you talk about that. There is another story here from somebody who stayed in the panelled room. A guest staying in the panelled room dreamt that someone was hanging from the tall chestnut tree which the small window in the room overlooked. He woke in the morning and looked out 
and a body was hanging from the branch. A man had committed suicide in the night. Now, apparently, that was the dream. He actually didn't see someone, but he, he dreamt he woke up and looked out and saw somebody was there. And there was other visitors that have had similar dreams. Oh, wow. Well, apparently, there was a gallows across the road. <gasps> I didn't know that. Mm. Yes. Oh, we may have just linked something to what was happening there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've got goosebumps, Renata. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was really quite interesting. But my question... Oh, no, I've got one more. One more ghost. I can't leave her out. She's fabulous, this one. I like her. There's the lady in the violet dress. I was hoping you'd mention her. Oh, she's such a sweetheart. Now, where else did we hear about a lady in a violet dress? In one of the haunted houses in America. Yes. The beer baron. Geez, you're doing well. Didn't she have a violet dress on as well? Yes. Yeah, there was. There was the, the lavender lady. The lavender she lady. She used to wear everything lavender and she even yes. had her horses dyed lavender. Yes, yes, yes. Oh. So we've got another lady in a violet hey, you've dress. You've got a good memory for an old girl. Mm, thank you. <laughs> so let's talk about the lady in the violet dress. Mm-hmm. Now, Mr. Thomas Parr, we did mention Mr. Thomas Parr earlier. Yeah. When he was living at Wimmering Manor, he awoke one night to the sight of an apparition standing at the foot of his bed. It was his cousin who had died in 1917. Dressed in full-length violet-coloured dress, the spirit spoke to him in a friendly and matter-of-fact manner, telling him of her recent religious experiences and about other deceased family members. Suddenly the ghost said, Well, Tommy dear, I must leave you now as we're waiting to receive Aunt M. In the morning... Pa received a telegram with the news that his Aunt M had died during the night. Oh, wow. In a cyclone. And she went to the Wizard of Oz. No? Different Aunt M? Auntie, no, yes. <laughs> but that's a great story. I love it when you get things like that. Now, it just popped into my mind there. Yes. I, I'm trying to think, why is this house haunted? What What is so special about this house that it is so haunted? But it seems to me that there are quite a few people who are having awakenings mm-hmm. of maybe abilities that have lain dormant. Mm-hmm. Oh, we've got a bit of thunder happening out there. It's going to be wild. Gonna be, there's wild storms around. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe this house is some sort of catalyst. Mm-hmm. For people to be able to start seeing visions uh, or having auditory uh, hallucinations, hallucinations yeah. which which I'm not saying hallucinations, but we mean it's a, an auditory psi experience. Um, what are your thoughts, Renata? Yeah, it's it's interesting. You've you've got so many layers set of history. It's a, a thousand a site that's a thousand years old, a site that is over a thousand years old and has had occupants on it since um, 1046 so it would lend itself to acquiring all of these energies over time and um, yeah whether whether it is a home that seems to invite people into it and nobody seems to be harmed no it's like there's no poltergeist activity no, no But we we do have to remember that at one stage it was a vicarage, um, and so with priest holes, with priest holes, and and so all of these things kind of make it this sacred space, mm-hmm. 
this space for people and maybe when people go in they and own this home they they love it it's it's like this magical place that they want to keep going mm. it was saved from demolition so it seems to me like it's calling out for those that come into it to keep it safe mm. and they they were running um and we still can book paranormal investigations and ghost hunts there. There are quite a few mm-hmm. places that will uh, take bookings and Renata and I are going to England in 2022. And I put to you, Renata, that we go visit this place. I reckon. I want to find a priest's hole. I want to experience a priest's hole. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let me just we tell you... We don't necessarily this, have to go overseas for that, but never mind. This is... Um, <laughs> I'm just going to leave that. Let me tell you, because I I do like to sort of tell you a little bit about how money is made at the location. Uh Uh, And this is from a ghost hunting website, and they're they're telling you all about what you can expect here. Take brave steps into Portsmouth's most haunted house, or as some say, in all of Great Britain. Your ghost hunt at the haunted Wimmering Manor will give you the opportunity to explore all areas of the building made available in the dark by torchlight. Investigate many areas, such as the hallways, staircases, bedrooms, drawing rooms, and even under the house in the cellar. Oh, we like a good cellar. Oh, do. They don't mention priest holes, though, so I'm worried now. Frequently ghost sightings, loud crashes as objects fall to the floor, dark shadows and creaking doors. What will await the unwary as you enter the confines of Wimmering Manor? With its ghosts of children, bleeding nuns and phantom horses, this location is not for the faint-hearted. Can you brave a ghost hunt at Wimmering Manor? Don't miss out. Tickets sell out fast. Now, it's actually, look, I'm I'm amazed at the value of these um, ghost hunts in England. You go from 8pm to 2am and it's £49. Mm-hmm. That's good. That is. That's that's how many hours is that? For that's six hours. Mm. For, and they normally provide tea and coffee. They and, do. I did check. Yeah, <laughs> did. Tea and coffee and, and some, got snacks. Some, yeah. Yeah. Some cookies. So snacks. I I'm going to book with them. We're going to get our dates and we're going to book. I think we're going to go September next year. We're looking at. We have to find out where it is on the map first. Is it? Where's Portsmouth? Our our itinerary is getting. Bigger and bigger oh, you and came bigger. up with a great idea. We're oh. going to fi- follow the shit route. <laughs> <laughs> what was the what was the route we're going to follow? You found these t- all these towns no, with I, the- no, I didn't. No. My daughter found oh. it. Oh, My thank you, Alex. So tell me, what did Alex find for us? So Alex found this gorgeous map of England, and you go right from the very bottom, and you start at Shitterton, <laughs> and you go past Ars Hill. Fingering Ho, Sluts Ho, Cock Alley, Penis Stone, Cockermouth. Are these real? Yes. Dick Place, Cock, cock Bridge, and you end up at Twat. <laughs> this map exists and I had to look up. I had to look up whether these places are real. And well, that's going to be the first time I end up in twat. They freaking are. They are. I've got Can a photo here of Wilson. What Wilson come like? Oh, can you imagine these lives? 
Then Renata's misadventures on YouTube will blow up, I swear. Oh, my God. All right. I want to do this. Let's do it. Let's commit to it. We're going to commit to it, all right? Yeah. So we're going to be taking a dirty road trip through the UK. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be gorgeous. Oh, look, guys, thank you so much for it. Oh, hang on. First off, we have to say, is it haunted? Is it a true haunting? Um... Oh, you don't like to commit, do you? No, I don't. I'd, look, I think there is something there. I would I'm say there's say residual. There I mean, yeah. there's there's a lot of yeah. energy there, but it doesn't sound like there's anything that uh, interacts with you intelligently. That's 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 kind of my thoughts as well. You copycat. Uh, I, well, I'm, I'm going to go visit. I just want to see what it's like. Let's hope it's on our shitty route. <laughs> anyway, now I can say thank you for joining us on this week's episode of True Hauntings. I hope you've enjoyed the ride down the priest's hole and everywhere else we've been. Uh, and we will be back, we hope, next week. With another episode. With another episode. Don't forget to follow us, like us, share, do all that stuff which helps us grow. And we will be back. In the meantime, stay on the dark side. I'll see you on the dark side. And we'll meet you on the dark side. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube.